Grab your Bible and uh, turn to where? John what? John 12. That's where we are at today. Christmas. What's the big deal? Um, We could term it this way out of John chapter 12. It's all about the hour. Christmas is all about the hour. Uh, We'll see what uh, I'm talking about that in our text today. Now, to, to kind of set us on course here, this is one of those days where uh, it's a Sunday before Christmas and we're in John chapter 12. Like, Doug, what's the deal with that? Um, I don't usually hear Christmas preached out of John chapter 12. Uh, this is so fitting with our series. So fitting with our series. Uh, because of this, as you look on the screen and you see a representation of the birth of, of Christ, um, what's the birth all about? The birth is all about what we're talking about in John chapter 12. Uh, The birth is all about the death and the resurrection and the exaltation of Christ and the result of that. And so in essence, we're kind of talking about the birth, but if you will, looking at the birth, the impact of the birth 30 years later, okay? So Christmas is all about John chapter 12, and we'll see that here in our text. Now, uh, the whole point of the sermon is this. Christmas is all about the hour. So what's the point of the sermon? It's all about what? It's all about the hour. End of sermon. Uh, got some time to fill in there. We'll go to the text here and take a look at that. I want for you to know there's kind of like a sub-level thing that's going on here as we're going through this. There's just in going through this text, there's just a few things that are so life applicable that we're going to hit three things that are just life application points. This is one of those texts that you can preach out and it Christmas is all in it. And yet within it, there's also these golden nuggets. And I can't leave the golden nuggets. <sighs> just... Uh, We're going to cover both, okay? So Christmas is about what? It's all about the hour. Let's take a look. Here we go. Uh, John chapter 12, starting in verse 20, where we left off. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. These are Gentile, Greek-speaking Gentiles. Uh, Very likely, these were individuals that came every year, almost every year, Gentiles, coming to the time of Passover to Jerusalem. Uh, A lot of times we don't hear about that, think about that, think that occurred. But there were a lot of Gentiles who had come into Jerusalem at the time of the Passover. Very cool. So there were some Greeks in verse 21. So these came to Philip. You know, why Philip? Not quite sure. Philip's name is a Greek name. He's kind of from that area, Bethesda and Galilee, maybe whatever. We don't know. But they come to Philip and they ask him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Now, when you read that, you think see him. It's kind of like, uh, hey, can we ponder him? Can we assess him? Just take a a peek, a gander. That's not what this word is talking about here in this context. Uh, In fact, I've got written in my Bible next to the word see interview. I think that in our language fits much more better with what John was actually writing in the Greek there. In other words, these guys are coming and they're coming in and they're going, hey, sir, Philip, uh, can we interview Jesus? Uh, That's cool. That's cool. Here are these Gentiles coming in to want to do a Nicodemus moment with Jesus. I love that. Verse 22, Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them. Who's the them? Is it the Greeks? Is it, I think it's Philip and Andrew. And by the way, his response here, it's one more of these times where they come in. Hey, Jesus, uh, some guys want to interview you. Is that okay? And Jesus starts talking in a whole nother realm. Uh, Jesus is talking the eternal here. Before we read this, let me remind us, we are literally days away from the death of Christ. We're days away from the passion, from the time when he is going to be beat to a pulp, dragged like a piece of meat, hung like a piece of meat, 
and killed. Or from Christ's perspective, giving up his life. He knows that's coming. And this is clearly, as we'll see here, clearly on his mind. So when he responds back to the interview, (laughs) listen to what he says. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there will be my servant also. That's cool. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor me. Now, if you have a break right there in your Bible, like I do, sometimes this is where I get irritated with these breaks. It's like right in the middle of him talking. So we're going to keep on going. The Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled. Get the idea Christ knows what's coming? Now my soul is horrored. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come. Christmas. To this hour. Father, glorify your name. What's Christmas all about? Verse 23. It's the time when the Son of Man is glorified. It's the the time when the Son of Man. That's referring to Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, when it talks about how there would be one from God. In essence, God would be coming and and having a dominion. Uh, God would be coming and and having a throne. Uh, God would be coming and his glory would show. And there were all people, all nations, all languages would, would bow before him and serve him. Uh, that's what the son of man is. It's not birthed of. It's not less than. It's not God's more mature. I'm under. It's it's God in the flesh. It's John chapter 1. And the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God in the flesh. The son of man and is glorified. Glorified is that summation term for the death, resurrection, and exaltation of Christ. When it talks about the hour, when it talks about glorified, it's speaking of all of that put together. Redemption made available. The death, resurrection, and exaltation of Christ. The hour. The hour in verse 24, Jesus kind of gives this talking about it. It's like a grain of wheat that falls to the ground and dies. That sounds like what's going to happen. But notice in the text there in verse 24, in order to bear much fruit. There's a purpose behind it. The hour includes verse 25, someone losing their life. Uh, and hating their life. I'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, But in order to keep it for eternity, the hour includes verse 26, serving and following another, uh, knowing that there will be honor that will come from the Father. The hour also includes this horror, uh, the known horror that's associated with for Christ, the known reality of choosing to obey the Father. And that brought horror. This is what Christmas is all about. That's what this is all about. God in the flesh, among us, to die, to rise from the dead, and to be exalted, and to bear much fruit out of that. That's what Christmas is about. Now, do you also, when you read the red letters that Jesus is talking about, Did you also, I hope so, go through that and go, oof, 
whoa, that is something for my life as well. Jesus is talking at that level. So let's do this. Let's jump under the next level as we look at these couple verses and bring out a point here, especially this idea of you see in verse 25, whoever loves his life loses it and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternity. What's he talking about there? Is he saying that I'm supposed to hate my life? And we all walk around and go, I detest myself. I just want for you to know, I hate myself and my life more than you hate yourself and your life. That's not what this is talking about. Uh, But I will say this. It's oftentimes in Christianity, we give this idea that the more you detest yourself, the more godly you are. That's half of the equation and not even necessarily half of the equation, depending upon what you mean by that. Let me give some clarity. What's he talking about when he says, hate your life? It's this. It's the idea of fundamentally preferring something or someone else over my life. It's this idea of of fundamentally preferring something over my life. When Jesus said to the people, hate your mother, hate your father, hate your brothers. He wasn't saying go home and spit on them. He was saying prefer. You know, fundamentally prefers something other than that. And in comparison to that, it's just so far superior. And this is what he's talking about. It's not this idea of decline making me as the focus of my life and and life's not about me. That's true. But then it becomes like a monk. Let me put it this way. Following Christ means this. I must be dead to me so that... I can live to serve him. It's about dying to self. Hey, if your life is all about you, I was going to say this is great. Good luck. Good luck. Because you're in a heap of hurt. I don't say that mean. I just say that because I know that in my own life. In essence, it's instead this put off, put on reality. It's this idea of I negate myself. I displace myself, not just to displace myself and call myself a worm, but I displace myself so that I can be about another self. Christ. I put me off so that I can be all about him. That's what's being talked about here. And that is the everyday battle reality of a Christian life walk with Christ, isn't it? Who am I going to live for today? Me or him? Who am I going to live for this moment? Me or him? Man, this is... And this is what Jesus is talking about. Here's what's so awesome. Your Savior understands this reality because he looks to the fact of the cross coming. Listen, as a Jewish young man and a young boy, he saw crucifixions before. He was not the first one ever crucified. And he knew what was coming. And it was horror to him in the reality of it. And yet he saw beyond that to be able to see the fruit that comes out of that. Are you kidding? Why would I not want to be about that? I must die to me so that I can live to serve him. Let's keep on going. Verse 28, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice from heaven, 
came and said, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And the crowd stood there and heard it and said that it had thunders and other thundered and others said an angel of the Lord had spoken to him. It's interesting. Some are like, I heard this sound. It was awesome. And others are like, I, I heard some kind of speech going on, but I think we clearly get this idea that they're not understanding, but how cool is this? We don't have time to dig into it, but it's just cool that this took place. Verse 30, Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Three quick Uh, three quick things out of this it says the passion and the glorification brings judgment on the world it's interesting that in just coming days the world is going to pass judgment on christ or it thinks that's what it's doing the fact of the matter is is what's happening is christ is bringing judgment on the world because of his holiness and walk to the cross that's just part of what comes out of the reality of it and out of the judgment also provides the full and complete redemption of many We also see in verse 31 that the passion and glorification defeat Satan. Uh, The cross may seem like Satan's triumph, uh, but it begins his defeat. Uh, Satan is alive and well, but I want for you to know uh, the defeat is in the process. It's in the process, and it starts at the defeat of the cross. Satan thought he won, uh, not. Uh, Verse 32, the consequence of the glorification is that Jesus will draw all men to himself. I want for us to understand this in this text. It says, when I'm lifted up, will draw all people to myself. So is, are all people saved because Christ died? Uh, let me just clarify this. It's not speaking of all individuals without exception. It's speaking of all individuals without distinction. In other words, and again, I, because of time, shortened time today, I don't have time to get into it, but he's talking about, in other words, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Salvation is available to all. This is not saying that all are saved without exception. It's all individuals without distinction. Uh, And you got to go back to verse 25 and 26. Those who hate their lives, those who give up their lives to be able to live for him, those are the ones who are going to be able to have eternal life. It talks about. Well, let's keep going. I'm going to give you a number of things today. You're going to walk out of here wondering, wanting to dig more good. Verse 34 or 33, he said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. Verse 34, so the crowd answered him, we've heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? Here these crowds are interacting with Christ. and They're saying, wait, I thought that the son of man out of Daniel chapter 7, 13 and 14 is going to be someone who lives forever because that's what the text says. This one will have a reign and a dominion forever. And so they're going, wait a second. I thought it was forever. You're talking about dying and this and and being lifted up. What's going on with that? And here's where we walk away from this. Even still, the crowds don't get it. Still don't get it. And in fact, they ask him, who is the son of man? They are asking the son of man, who is the son of man? Bring this back in this context. John chapter 12, the triumphal entry. I think 100,000 or more people are cheering, King, Hosanna, come on in. He's coming in, entering in. King, King. In essence, Matthew chapter 7. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord. And I will respond that I never knew you. That's what's happening here. The people, in essence, who at one moment are, I believe in God. God rocks. 
I believe Jesus was God. I believe he died on the cross. I believe all this kind of stuff. But yet the reality in it is where's the lasting fruit out of it? The fact of the matter is, is we see in here that people still don't get who Christ is. Maybe is that you? Maybe you've heard God and Christ and all this stuff for a long time, but are leaving it as surface level. That's the fact of what's happening in his day. Verse 35, so Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Let's keep going. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Friends, I think this is an absolutely critical verse that we just bypass right off. When we go from here through the rest of the book, let's say through chapter 17, Christ is no longer in public teaching mode. Christ is no longer actually in interaction mode of trying to draw the Jews to himself anymore. And I think this is a transitional point in the plan of God. Uh, God has given the Israelites time for them them to receive the Messiah. And he's done it again and again over years. And now this almost symbolic reality that he turns himself and now he's going to focus in on his disciples and really what ends up coming out unto the world. This is a transitional, kind of almost a dispensational point in change in God's administration, how he works with the people of Israel. He hid himself from them. Verse 37, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled out of chapter 53. Lord, who has believed that, he, that what he heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. Hear that? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, chapter 6, He who has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Oh my, I so need time for this one, but I don't have it today. Because here's the deal. Is it not true? You look at verse 39 and you go so people could not believe what's with that they had no choice they had no chance what's going on here because it sure seems like that's what it says well let me just throw this out for you for lunch conversation today the inability of the people to believe is tied to scripture's prediction of that inability to believe But the prediction here is of a judicial hardening. Jesus has blinded their eyes and he has blinded their heart. God himself has. And we see God judicially hardening men and women in the New Testament. We see it in Romans chapter 9. We see it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We see this judicial hardening. Now, quickly, let me take you back to the Old Testament and the plagues. How many plagues were there? Ten, these ten plagues. And through this time, we see Moses comes before Pharaoh and time and time again. And as you go through that in Exodus, you find that specific statements at specific plagues, it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. God hardened his heart. 
And then at other plagues, you see in there it says, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. So for you theologians, what's going on with that one? How can God harden people's hearts and them harden their hearts? And by the way, wouldn't that then mean that I would stand before God and be with excuse? God, you never gave me a chance. God, you never gave me a choice. You hardened my heart. I was predestined to separation from you. Understand the predicament? Let me just say this. In Scripture, God's sovereignty in these matters is never pitted against human responsibility. Never. Sentence from D.A. Carson. God's judicial hardening is a holy condemnation of a guilty people who are condemned to do and be what they themselves have chosen to do and to be. Let me read that one more time. God's judicial hardening is a holy condemnation of a guilty people who are condemned to do and be what they themselves have chosen to do and to be. Have some lunch conversation. Verse 42. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Uh, quickly here, let me just put it this way. Secret faith is, no, is not real faith. What's happening here is these leaders, there were some leaders who were coming to faith in Christ, who were moving towards that direction, and yet they knew that if they proclaimed that, if they communicated that, that they would lose their position, they would lose their societal place, they would lose their income reality, they would suffer for that, and so they didn't want to do that. Why? Because the verse tells us. Because they lived for the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Here's a point. I must be dead to the glory of others. I must live for the glory of God. I must be dead to the glory of others. I must live for the glory of God. But every one of us, we struggle with this, don't we? We struggle to live for the glory of others. Hey, I want to let you know, desiring to be loved is not sinful. But living for others' love is. When you and I demand love, I deserve to be loved. I deserve to be respected. I deserve to be appreciated. We have now stepped into the realm of idolatry. And to think that another person can fulfill that reality is foolishness. And yet we struggle with it again and again. You will never be fulfilled. You will never be satisfied if you think that your job is going to bring you purpose in life. You will never be fulfilled. You will never be fully satisfied. If you think that being married or having the kind of husband that you would like or the kind of wife that you would like or the kind of children that you would like, if you think that those things are going to bring you uh, happiness, the glory of life that you seek, uh, we're in trouble. Seeking after the glory of God, he will never, ever, ever disappoint from his perspective. But that doesn't mean there are times of horror, as Jesus knows. Well, let's finish out. Verse 44. 
And Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me. Oh, by the way, that kind of takes out the uh, you can't believe. Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may remain in darkness. There's a whole lot of believing, a whole lot of living. Now look, it switches to a whole lot of about his talking. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. But the reality is, as we talked about, out of his saving work comes judgment. Verse 48, the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the father who sent me has himself given me a commandment of what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore I say as the father has told me. We see this a whole lot of speaking. 47, my words, 48, my words, the word that I've spoken, 49, spoken, then to say, to speak, 50, I say, I say, hey, listen, Jesus came to speak. He came to speak. And I need to live by his words. He came to speak. And I need to live by his words. Well, what's the big deal about Christmas? It's all about the hour. It's all about the second person of the Trinity. Come in flesh, that little baby boy went to the cross. That little baby boy. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. All for the purpose of the hour. The death, the resurrection, and the exaltation of Christ. Do you know Christ is your redeemer? Or do you know about Christ? Do you know that you know that you know? Has there been a time in your life where you've come and driven the stake in the ground and said, you know what? I am living about the glory of me. I am living this way. I am a sinner separated from God, and I need to drive a stake. And God, I'm going to seek to become all about you. God, I want to be your child. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Have you received Christ as your Savior? I want to tell you, until you do, you don't get Christ. If you have questions, come and ask. We would love to just, and I love that, walking people through what God's done and ask the questions. Redeemed person in Christ, I just want to challenge you out of this text. One, Christmas is about the hour. Also, Christmas is about us being able to live to serve him. Christmas is about us being able to be people that live for his glory and not my glory. Christmas is about living by his words. Let's be that. Let's pursue that and do that together. Well, we're going to take communion. So I'm actually going to ask the communion servers if they would come down. What a perfect time to take communion at the birth of Christ. Right at the birth of Christ to remember about what the birth of Christ is all about. And so if you know Christ as your Savior, if you've been redeemed in Christ, this is a time to celebrate what God has done. This is a celebration morning. He has come. He has come. 
And he has died and he's risen from the dead and he's been exalted. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father and he redeems. And if you know his redeeming work, you know. So what we're going to do here is I'm going to pray and and then there's going to be some music playing. You can go and grab the the bread, grab the cup, bring it back to your seat. And uh, Pastor Nick is going to lead us in uh, taking that together. So let me lead us in prayer, Lord. I want to thank you for the birth of you. (laughs) So undeserving. But that's what grace is all about. Lord, you've died so that we might live. And this is a time where we remember what the baby boy was all about. The baby boy was all about the second person of the Trinity coming in the flesh to live amongst us, to speak, to teach, to draw people unto himself and to go to the cross, rise from the dead and make the provision of salvation available to all. We celebrate that We celebrate that big. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.